Epic gumdrop, sweeter than the blood of Dracula's next victim. Hello, Jeff. Hey, James. Today we're looking at a specific theme. Vampires. And there's a lot of games with this game, so we're going to have to go There's a lot of games with this this theme, even. With this theme. What did I say? Games with this game. Man, see, already, out of the gate, already (laughs) failing. Words! If you uh, want to see links to any of the games, uh, head over to BreakingDads.com. BreakingDads.com? BreakingDads.com. And uh, if you want to... You know, yell at me and say, hey, learn how to speak with the intros at uh, Epic Gumdrop on Twitter. Um, he does respond to, hey, you. I do. Yes. Hey, you. Yeah. <laughs> you got for kids. My, yeah, for kids. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah. vampire games. Are, We're going to go way back on this. There's not too many, right? Actually, there isn't. Okay. And that's what I found interesting. I thought, let's, I, I just wanted to deep dive on a specific theme and the vampires. I ran, I was like bumped into it and thought, huh. I thought actually Fury of Dracula. I thought yeah, it kind of made me think. You know, you don't hear a lot of vampire games really, mm-hmm. um, as like relative to like zombies. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, oh, what's the history of that? And uh, there was about BGG under the category of vampires uh, had about a hundred and forty or something like that. So yeah, it was that's, actually much less than I expected. That's I thought, less than the number of games being put out this year I thought, by a wide yeah. margin. I thought there would be like hundreds, yeah. but not like super, you know, not as many no. as zombies. But I would, I, like 600, I would have bought. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know what I would have. Yeah, I can never have thought of it as, you know, we'll get to it, but okay. there's not a time period where I think, you know, oh, hey, somebody's built, you know, the zombie or sorry, the vampire like deck builder with 58 expansions. There's not even that. There's not even right. expansions on these games. These are just like a lot of weird one-offs. And there's a good reason. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure if this is the, you know, the first vampire-themed game published, uh, but it's the first one I can find in the database at uh, BoardGameGeek. Dracula Mystery Game, 1963 by Hasbro. I love that it has like a very Lego title. Yeah, it's just it's, it's like, right on the yes, It's like, well, what's this game about? Well, it's a mystery game about Dracula. Uh, let's call it Dracula Mystery Game. You know what you're getting. Uh, I wanted to go mystery Dracula game, but I thought people would be confused. <laughs> Oh, early board game names. Yeah, this one's a movie tie-in. Uh, it's described as a roll-and-move game. The subtitle reads, Will the Vampire Catch You? Pretty spooky stuff, I'm sure. Many a sleepover nightmare was fueled by that terror. Um, and it has a, uh, I believe, a movie tie-in cover. Uh, I don't know if it's Boris Karloff or right. whoever it was. But this is the Bella early Lugosi, Lugosi, yeah. Not Boris Karloff. Yeah, Bella Lugosi. Lugosi. This is when, when the movie monsters ruled. Yeah, I think yeah. it was at the end of that, in a yeah, way. 63. Um, yeah, 63. Yeah. So it, it kind of, I guess, they started getting these really poppy kind of games and thought, hey, let's try Dry Vampires as a theme. And Hasbro it's, made a roll and move game? Did they do that? No, I don't, not many. Yeah. Not many. There's been a couple. Can't There's think of too many examples. Ones that involve candy. Is that one of them? Yeah. Um, or perhaps uh, some sort of property. I, 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 I don't know, know what you're talking about. Uh, after this, it takes a few years for uh, two games to come out, uh, both inspired by the 1966 uh, Dark Shadows TV show franchise to come out. Uh, first is 1966's Dark Shadows. Again, kind of yeah. bam. Uh, here's the gameplay description. Each player is dealt four cards of varying types. Players use these cards to drive their movement across the board by matching a card to a particular space. Each turn, a player either plays the appropriate card to move ahead or discards one and stays put, then draws a new card. The first player to reach the end space is the winner. Is this Candyland the vampire game? Yeah, I don't know. It's very, uh, yeah. Um, This would be, you know, 
popular gameplay mechanic Whitman would use in later games. So they kind of got, they're like, oh yeah, we got our own Candyland going on. Right. Whitman's version. Now, a weird note, as we're all about side notes of interest, um, the publisher of this one, Whitman, was a subsidiary of Western Publishing. And want to take a guess at what popular children's books came out from Western? Any guess? Uh, I, I totally wouldn't have remembered What decade this. are we in? Uh, back in the 60s. Uh, nope. Uh, Little Golden Books. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, Simon & Schuster were the original publisher with Western as the printer. But in 1958, it was sold entirely to Western. But we digress. Wow. Um, they have weird connection between. So, so now when I play a vampire game, I'm going to think of the pokey little puppy. Absolutely. That's exactly <laughs> what I wanted you to think about. The pokey little vampire. <laughs> going around biting people, trying to get under fences. If oh. only he had the right color card to move. Oh, oh pokey puppy. <laughs> so the second Dark Shadows game, I, I, like, I'm just going to segue right past this now. The second Dark Shadows game had to come up with a clever title, which was Barnabas Collins Dark Shadows game, 1969. Uh, this one was put out by Milton Bradley, and it looks like they stepped up their game a little. Like, sure, games are now loaded with minis and cool stuff, and but how many have a coffin for component storage? Glow-in-the-dark vampire teeth, not used in gameplay, sadly. <laughs> a spinner, some tiny wooden stakes, and four sets of glow-in-the-dark skeleton parts. Uh, I want this just for the components. It, that sounds awesome. You know, it's basically just a game that's about spinning and set collection, but that component list sounds pretty cool for 1969 and the only thing better is the original commercial which i'll put a link to it's <laughs> it's impressive but old black and white and you're like even my kids were like that that's pretty cool okay i, I want to i want to remake this game just because i think you'd have a very successful kickstarter yeah you know like hey stretch goal glow in the dark vampire you know, we, we think of a lot of these like novelty things as being more contemporaneous but like mm. you look back at some of these older games and you're like yeah wow they put some weird kitchen sink stuff into the games to try and get the market so i guess milton bradley thought well there's already a dark a dark shadows game what are we going to do to step up our game to get that market yes for, from whitman and well I, you know because the other game was probably still on shelves since it came out the but, year before yeah. I, I don't know the licensing you know no idea why you had uh a tv show had two back-to-back -back deals with two publishers mm. no, there's something interesting there story-wise but i don't couldn't figure out what it was um, do we have these games to blame for the Tim Burton movie? <laughs> like, was he really a fan of the show or maybe he just played with the glow in the dark vampire teeth and that's what, I don't know. And you know, interestingly, uh, when dark, uh, cause I remember dark shadows coming back in the eighties, I want to say late eighties, whenever there was a reboot of dark shadows. Oh, I did not watch it. Oh, uh, it was, <laughs> I watched that as a kid. Uh, that's my version. And, mm -hmm. uh, there was no game board game reboot at that time weird I did not huh <laughs> it was more of a soap opera i think at that time but at any rate we're going to uh leave the 1960s and we're going to jump right ahead to 1977 which is when we get the game of dracula from waddington games um they seem to have also thought that they needed a prop so we get a green bat mask <laughs> it is bizarre <laughs> they, what <laughs> there's pictures on board game geek of people wearing the the green it's like this really bright green kind of cartoony bat mask it's bizarre it's like something you see like a easter bunny mask or something so uh because we like to do boardroom meetings on our podcast so mm. I, I feel that this boardroom meeting might have gone uh hey uh, hey we got a new game the game is not that good how are we gonna sell it we need something cheap and easy yeah and somebody's like uh let's put a little paper bat in it oh nobody's gonna play with a paper bat what if we made it a mask? And then he dropped the mic and walked out of the meeting. I think everyone at home should imagine now that we're both wearing uh, green bat masks. 
through that's how we record all the time that's just our thing not on our faces no <laughs> also got the, the glow-in-the-dark vampire teeth yes when we stumble around words that is why <laughs> hey jeff here's uh, the uh the bgg description of this light chase game the first player to suffer Dracula's bite becomes the green vampire and dons the vampire's face mask. This vampire then flits from room to room seeking another victim to take over his role. Any further victims of Dracula go back to the vault and must attempt their escape from square one again. The Dracula and green vampire pieces actually engulf the players playing pieces when they're bitten. So the mask was a key component of gameplay. It was. It, yeah. It's going to get weirder, though. Oh, good, because no, I just thought... No, this is... And I, again, there's a video of this one. It, this is even stranger. Now, you, you might be thinking, we've had enough gimmicks. Let's just move on to the more sensible 1980s. No. Hasbro in 1979 brought us, I want to bite your finger. Wait, 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 wait. Literally, they, they spelled it with the yeah, B? they did. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is so they, good. They want us to play the game. <laughs> Forget coffins and masks. Let's get down to the heart of what vampires are all about. What we have here is a quote unquote game featuring a large vampire figure that can bite players' fingers. It, it, players advance around the board and at some point are required to roll a die and then have to turn a clock attached to the vampire up, a, up to that number of clicks. If you roll a four, you can turn it to one, two, three, or four times. If you're unlucky, the vampire will waken up. So this plastic cape thing swings open. Uh huh. And then you have to put your finger in his mouth. And I, I don't know if it actuates or you have to press it, but he bites you with a felt tip marker. It, it literally had a little felt what, that like, you uncap and you put in with the two. It's got two heads. Uh-huh. You put your finger in the vampire's mouth and you get bit and, and you got red marker on your finger. It, like, I, I don't even know how. I I just, I can't, like. It, it And the game looks terrible. What? It looks so, but then it's a really excessive, like, awesome coffin, or not coffin, uh, Dracula cape, you know, as he opens up the cape. and So first he flashes cool. you and yeah. then he bites you. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah. You know, that brings up a good point. There aren't enough games nowadays that actually physically assault you. <laughs> not I enough feel, games. <laughs> I feel like... Punch in the face, the board game. I can't even... Yeah. I don't... I... <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. It's just, yeah. That sounds that sounds so awesome. Like It kind of was. I, I mean, it's terrible, but it's kind of awesome as a weird retro toy. It was like, wow, like, they really put a lot of effort into this. Thing. I want this in my collection. I didn't know it existed. It's and now, not very big. And it's not not even thing you would play. It's just no, a weird object. just to have. It's a weird art object. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of brilliant and bizarre. And I'm surprised Hasbro didn't go out of business at this point from bite-related lawsuits. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, now we'll move on to the 80s, which uh, starts out suitably somber with Mayfair Games and Neil Zimmer bringing us Translivania. That is how it's printed on the box. I'm assuming that is the actual title, Translivania, and it's not a typo, which would have been horrific on the front cover of this thing. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess that's what it is. I don't know why. The cover art is a menacing black and white drawing of a robed skeleton about to stab a sleeping traveler with a sword. And the box description states, the village and the surrounding countryside have for years been ravaged by night and by day. Finally, the villagers confront their nemesis for control of Transylvania. That's a... Uh, yeah. Okay, but why a skeleton? I, yeah, I don't know. It's, I guess, fantasy art at that time period. I don't know, man. It was, it's weird though. It's a tonal shift you see. Like it would go from these light frivolous games. Mm-hmm. Now it looks a little more serious. Um it's listed in the categories fighting, horror, and war game, with area movement being the chief mechanic. Um, when you look at the map and the tokens, you get the impression that this is a war game aimed at a slightly younger market. 
Uh, that's immediately what I thought looking at it. And mm-hmm. it marks a, you know, a shift in tone uh, from players as victim to players as vampire nemesis. And it should be noted that 1981 was a huge year for Mayfair and for designer Neil Zimmer. Um, they only had a few titles previous to this, and the Wikipedia page uh, link, links to their business beginning in 1981. Uh, but BGG shows a few earlier titles that, you know, it, it really seems like they might have mm-hmm. officially started going into the board game business. I think they dabbled and then went, okay, let's do this. I I don't know. Anybody at Mayfair, let us know. Yeah. Um, but they really kick it off in 81. Um Neil Zimmer also had a tremendous year with Mayfair, bringing us out several other titles uh, with them, including Space Ember Empires and ICBM, um, very thematically appropriate for the 80s. And uh, he also published two other titles with publishers for a total of five games that year. And then he kind of goes quiet. Right. And then he comes back later. So it, Yeah. So so Mayfair Games, they released 11 games in 1981? Yeah. They that's expo- a, like boom. They just came out of the gates running. That's a big number, like for now. Yeah, and Neil Zimmer. Came, I mean, he. That's like you know, yeah. That's Eric Lang territory. Yeah. Like he's just like cracking them out. And I. So I can understand maybe that would be a typo on the cover. Who <laughs> they knows, got, man? They got eleven games coming out. It's bananas. Yeah. Uh, just as a total aside, that this is part of the story. I'm always really intrigued by when I do you know dig into this stuff. Is like. Neil Zimmer doesn't have a bio on there. He kind of disappears after this, and then he comes back up uh, only a few years ago. So mm. it's like he had a career, or he's very young and into board gaming, designed a bunch of board games, went and had a career and a family and a life, right. and then retired, and now he's back into board games. It's like these huge yeah. gaps you see sometimes in these people's bios where you're like, I, you know, board game designer wasn't a real job necessarily back in you know the 80s mm-hmm. for very many people. Um, so I'm, yeah, I, I'd love to see these bios get filled out more because I'm, I'm so insanely curious, like wh- yeah. wh- where'd he go? What'd he do? What, what was, what'd he do for a living? I want to know more about Neil Zimmer. Or do you just have the biggest case of writer's block? Well, maybe it's like, you know? yeah, I'm just going to set the pen down for 30 years. Like 1982, he's like, no, this is my life. I'm going to be a board game designer. That's all I'm going to do. And, and then like, done. 1983. Okay. Let's get a real job. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Um, and uh, Transylvania, Transylvania, yes, Transylvania was not the only vampire-themed game for 1981, though. American designer Steve Jackson uh, also brought us Undead. Uh, the description is interesting, with this having also a serious tone, which I, I didn't entirely expect for Steve Jackson, mm-hmm. as well as a playtime of two hours. This is an attempt to recreate the legendary battle of Van Helsing and the Vampire Hunters against Dracula in Victorian London. The game is based on the books, not the movies, so many things are different to what vampire fans are used to. Dracula can move during the day, for example, although it tires him. The game takes two forms, a two-player game and a simplified role-playing game. A game master is helpful, but optional. So, like, totally, right. we're now we're going deeper, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um the game came with a map of London circa 1890, crypt, indoor combat maps, color tokens. Um, the back of the box states that you can either be Dracula or you can try and hunt him down. So it's the first vampire-based game that made me think of Fury of Dracula. Right. Um, but more, we'll get to that game in a bit. Um, people comment this is a bit light and also a bit uh, dependent on a decent GM for optimal play, but it was also on the inexpensive side, which helped move copies. Uh, on a side note, this was also the year Steve Jackson games uh, brought us Car Wars and the live roleplay game Killer. So, uh, yeah, it's you can definitely see that this is in that era where tabletop gaming, yeah, still has a lot of the roleplaying game influence. Yes, yeah, it's, which is uh, which is always fun to see. It's it's like the uh, the missing link, exactly. You know? <laughs> 
Yeah, and you're thinking, okay, so 1981, like that must that must be a, I, I that don't, sounds like a lot for vampires already in 81. But no, TSR is like, hey, speaking of role play games, we want in on this action. Yeah, uh, they bring us vampire with a Y. Vamp- vampire. Vampire. <laughs> yeah, das vampire. Uh, Philip A. Schreffler's contribution to TSR's mini game series, and here's a little text from this one. The Vampire game is faithful to Stoker's original novel. It may be played by up to six people, each playing the role of one of Stoker's characters. Many of the game elements are also derived from the book. In Stoker's novel, Dracula did indeed hide coffins in various secret locations so that he would always have a place to hide during the day, should his principal lair be discovered. Dracula did have have vampire brides and could command wolves, rats, bears, and other supernatural beings. Effective against these undead creatures were the host, holy water, crucifixes, and silver bullets, not to mention the hammer and stake, tools required for dispatching vampires. The vampire basic game takes on the map of Transylvania. The game is a race between the vampire hunters to see who will be the first to find and destroy three of Count Dracula's hidden coffins. The extended game is played on the reverse side of the map, Dracula's castle, after the players have finished the basic game. Here, the players have already destroyed Dracula's hidden coffins. Now they must track down and destroy the Count himself in his heavily guarded lair. So it comes with this hexed map of Transylvania, flips over for Castle Dracula. It's got a D6 or two, some game chits. Um, Although it tries to stick to the original novel, it has a lighter playtime of 45 minutes, and still it does six players. So I I can't even imagine that. Um, Yeah, it was... uh, not surprising to see TSR jump in there. And I, I don't really remember 1981 and vampires in pop culture. So I don't know, you know, later on you get the Lost Boys or you get things in the 80s, you know, mm-hmm. with the vampire theme. I don't know what 81 was all, why it was all about vampires. Because it is a weird bursty pocket. I think in, pocket. in the early 80s, those um, late 50s, early 60s um, monster movies came back in vogue because uh, they were on TV. Right. Right. Like all the time because right. they were super cheap. So I definitely remember, like mm. even the monster magazines and model kits, all that stuff sort of came back. That's true in the early eighties. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So I think that was the, uh, the, the reason we're I seeing all this eighty one. Maybe it seemed like a uh, an easy, cheap theme to uh, yes. also appropriate because it's out of copyright range. Mm-hmm. So you could take it and make something spooky. We want a horror yeah. game. Here's our horror game. It's not that inventive, but hey, yeah, it's a theme you know. You can play it while you're watching the late late movie. Yeah. Um, on one of the four channels. And I think, you know, a, a quote unquote scary game wasn't that scary at that time period. Like, you you know, you might have a, a sleepover and play with friends. Like these games seem like they're aimed at not little kids, but maybe the teenage market. Mm-hmm. Um, so m- maybe some good fun that's not too, too scary. Um, on a complete aside, mm-hmm. uh, apropos of nothing. Yeah. I think one of the reasons Steven Jackson uh, got so popular so quickly is he's one of the few board game designers with a super easy name to pronounce. Yeah, Steve Jackson. Like, it doesn't quite fit with like Schreffler. This is true. And the others. I don't yeah. know. I, I'm sure it has nothing to do with game design entirely. Yeah. Just pronounceability of, hey, uh, did you see that new game by, uh, 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 and then they just say Steve Jackson because. Yeah. He did good cover and stuff. Cheap yeah, games. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. there was somebody hit on that. They're inexpensive yeah. at that time. Uh, they don't look like huge box games. Yes. He kind of hit all the points. And he, a lot of passion. He's a smart business guy. Yeah. Uh, as much as I might knock, you know, some of Steve Jackson's, like the games don't appeal to me necessarily mm-hmm. sometimes, but, I, you know, obviously he's brilliant. He's he knows what made, he's doing. <laughs> he's probably made a game that appeals to you somewhere. Yeah, exactly. In, in his catalog Absolutely. somewhere. You yes. know, I haven't played some of his early, you know, deep mm-hmm. cut stuff. So I'm sure there is some games there that I would find something in. It's just, you know, it's the Munchkin Mountain. It's the Munchkin, over. Yeah. I have a hard time. Anyway, the next few years brings us uh, 
brings us the odd vampire themed game, but none of them are that remarkable until we get to 87. And actually, is that the year the Lost Boys came out? I don't remember. Hmm. I meant to only... do, I was going to cross reference this with movies and I just didn't. Yeah. It had to be around then. Though. It was around yeah, then. Yeah. Cause it had, uh, you know, those kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The kids. <laughs> so this is the year we get Stephen Hand's original Fury of Dracula from Games Workshop at uh, two to four players and a maximum playtime of three hours. We're now even, we're going heavier. Yeah. He looked at the other, he's like, ah, too late. Yeah. Two hours. I, I'm going to go three. So the, uh, the original description reads, um, the premise of the uh, Fury of Dracula is very similar to Scotland Yard, but with additional rules for combat events and encounters. One player secretly controls Dracula, while the other three players are vampire hunters co- cooperating to locate and defeat him. Dracula must move around the countryside, evading the hunters while leaving minions and encounters for them to uncover in his wake. If he can hide six new vampires in Eastern Europe, or in Europe, without the hunters destroying them, the Dark Prince shall be declared victorious and rule the day. Meanwhile, the hunters try to locate and destroy Dracula before he succeeds in raising an empire of undead vampires. When they occupy the same space as a dark minion, a vampire, or even Dracula himself, then a combat system is used to determine the results. Will the hunters be able to stem the tide of darkness, or will Europe be consumed by the fury of Dracula? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds good, even back then. I, I, don't, I would have I played this. No, that I mean, yeah. And I, I've never played Scotland Yard. That's a, it sounds like a, a hole in my game playing. I'd like to. Yeah. I think I played it once at a friend's house, like mm. before I understood what it was, what board games were. And I thought, I think I thought, man, I'm not old enough for this. Like this is, yeah. this is, I don't know though, but I could be thinking of a completely different Scotland Yard themed game as well hmm. because I was, I was barely conscious of it and it was a sleepover. <laughs> so it was really late at night. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's all I've got on that. Yeah. We'll have to get to that. Um, but on, on Fury of Dracula, whoever wrote that description seemed to be trying to, uh, they were trying to knock it down a little peg. Like they were like, yes, you know, people love Fury of Dracula, but not groundbreakingly original. Uh, did it include minis? Yeah. Or whatever we called those globs of plastic back in 1987. Yes, it did. It had these little miniatures figures and they were, you know, badly painted little things, mm-hmm. but what you'd expect from Games Workshop, I guess. Yep. Um, it looks cool though, for that time period from 87, I definitely would have been into that game. Uh, I can see why it has had some longevity. Mm-hmm. So you know, instead of learning lots about this game, I stumbled into a BGG thread about Games Workshop lawyers making BGG purge user created files back in 2009. My uh, curiosity ensured I barely made it out of that quagmire <laughs> to finish putting together this episode. I'm serious. I lost so much time. I was like, uh, I I'm, don't have the hours, but where did they all go? I am fascinated. I want to learn more of this legal dispute so, from so seven years Games ago. Workshop, Games Workshop put out a game in 1987. Mm. And then in 2009, they said, hey, get rid of those user-created files for a game. For everything. Yeah. Everything on the geek. Oh, just everything. Yeah. They, yeah, okay. That's they went right. on this big thing. It became this big legal. Anyway, it was all, don't, don't, if you love yourself, don't go back into that. Don't look up 2009 Games Workshop BGG. <laughs> bad, bad idea. Um interesting stuff but yeah bonkers um now the only thing more frightening than the hunt for dracula might be the next few titles uh i had completely forgotten about this but 1988 brought us a new count count duckula wait what which of course means we would get at least three games dedicated to him do you do you not remember count duckula count duckula yeah was that an after school tv show well i i had forgot i blocked this out and then i was like oh my gosh i totally remember this it was like you know donald duck looking thing but count duckula I don't remember that. I remember the superhero-y um, Donald Duck ripoff thing. 
Mm, which nope. I can't remember. The Duck Knight, I want to say, but that's oh, not it. Oh, no, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. I like. Yeah. I remember vaguely. Very 90s. Anyway. Yeah, sorry. These are those things. Yeah, like they, the, so many weird stuff came out in the late 80s. But I'm going to not even get into that. So, yeah, if you're into Count Docula, there's there's three you, games. You have a choice of games, yeah. a handful of games. It's, so whenever you see these little, this is the emerging thread, is, is you, when you see a popularity happen in something with vampires, you start seeing little pockets. Yep. It's like, boom. And then it's like shotgun blasts of games come out and then quiet and then boom again. And uh, in 1992, for good or bad, Francis Ford Coppola brings us Bram Stoker's Dracula, which meant we would get games uh, such as An Evening with Bram Stoker's Dracula, 1992, complete with audio cassette. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the board game, complete with miniatures. So while the costumes on the minis do not quite capture Aiko Ishioka's beautiful costume design they try i'm not sure we could figure out which one's supposed to be tom waits and which one's richard e grant uh but that's it that's those are the high points of that movie so we'll move on i enjoy how obsessed you are with not liking this movie you know i i, I remember watching it when it came out in the theater i was very excited about this mm-hmm. movie and i was very disappointed although i love was keanu, was keanu reeves in this he was yeah did he so. play harker or... I, I have not seen it since Ninety-two. So you went my, and saw it in the theaters, and you thought, "Man, the costumes were awesome." And those two guys, and then yeah, that's, well, that's kind of yeah. what I wanted to watch it for, right? And the rest, yeah, it was it was entertaining. Still better. It was not Francis Ford. You know, Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, you're like Apocalypse Now, and then he gives you this Godfather. And then he gives you this. <laughs> Didn't do it for me. Still better Gary than Old Men. Even <laughs> it was so good, but yeah. I I'm just saying, it's still better than uh, Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein. With the yes, it was. which we saw that pinball machine of the other day. Oh my goodness! Yes, yeah. That's an aside for another day. That's, yes, that's in a terrible, it's, terrible movie. It's like Sega, no wonder you ran out of money. You made a pinball arcade machine based on this movie. That makes Bram Stoker's Dracula look like the best movie ever made. It really does. Like that was a ter- anyway. Yes, <laughs> monster movies gone wrong. So. We skip ahead a couple of years now. Now it's just getting good because 1994 brings us uh, something much, much better. We get Vampire, the Eternal Struggle, briefly known as Jihad, uh, which I, w- when you were showing me a box of cards, yes, we were looking through. And I was like, why are some of these called Vampire and some of these called Jihad? Because I don't remember this yep. at all. But there they are. Or uh, VTES, I think, as everybody else knows it yes. as. Uh, Richard Garfield's second work of card design after a little known and you know seldomly played game called um, magic the gathering never heard of it no i didn't think so no. uh he also did a few other minor games um netrunner uh Ro- robo rally robo rally yeah, yeah no, robo no, rally no, yeah. so vampire the eternal struggle is seen as garfield fixing some elements of magic um there is way too much to say about this game here and i think we'll have i mean we've got a bunch of cards so we at some point we'll have to sit down and play this yeah and apparently the last official card set came out in 2010 wow I think uh, White Wolf put it out then, and it was it was still being supported, and there you know competitive play was uh, probably still going strong. So, uh, I guess I, I, it's one of those weird like any of these kind of cultish uh, CCGs right. that you know collectible card games this that go one, on forever. This one, yeah, but it's beyond the the cultish ones, right? Because that's a long life. That is a long life. Yeah, it's true compared to other. Like if you look at all of the the uh, collectible games, now I want to call them the uh, the. Uh, collectible card games that came out between 94 and yeah, 90, boom. 98 yeah you know how many of them got a second release let alone exactly. 2010 yeah and i i would almost wonder if this one would you know ever see a like if vampires have a comeback as a theme again if this would ever get a re-release as an well, cg now i mean it's got the there's a license they could, there's a license they could have slapped on it yeah <laughs> 
it's probably true. done well, but it's true. Um, we'll get to that later, I feel. So, you know, at this point, I think since there was no more vampire franchises ever, that uh, brings us to the end of the episode. Yep. Yeah. Uh, people stopped caring about vampires, right? It was stopped being a thing after the 90s. Yeah. Oh, wait, what? Oh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer had a few games in 2000. One uh, that Rob Davio worked on when he was at Hasbro. That's pretty, some pretty heavy stuff right there. Oh, wait, even Reiner Knizia, designer of all the games ever, even put out a vampire game of that very same year called <clears throat> Vampire. Man. He knows how to name a game. He just, bam, button. Yeah. Reiner, what do you think? Vampire. Well, it's a game about vampires, so let's call it... Vampire? <laughs> Emphasis on the I? So the next few games would see a blue, you know, slurry of Buffy and Angel-based games and a lot of other vampire-based games trying to capitalize on the re-re-re-re-resurgence of the theme. And this is the part when I was researching where I started getting really cynical and bored. So... Uh, I imagine gonna, the uh, the average BGG rating in this time period. Not great. Yeah. No. Uh, 2004 brings us uh, kind of full circle with Steve Jackson's Munchkin Bites, uh, which was interesting. And uh, 2005 ushers in Fury of Dracula 2nd Edition. And then it goes something like this. Blade, Twilight, 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 Miscellaneous, Twilight, etc. Twilight, Miscellaneous, etc. Twilight. It's, uh, it's a whole bunch of Wait, Twilight. didn't they put out any Twilight games? A couple. They're minor. Um, so to recap, you know, the vampire theme picked up steam in the early nineties and kind of never went away. Uh, all that fear of, you know, darkness and the undead melded perfectly with the anxiety of the era. It seemed like, uh, even 2015 brought us a bunch of vampire tiles, including the much anticipated Fury of Dracula third edition, uh, or the inevitable one night ultimate vampire. Um, one of the more interesting vampire titles of 2015 is IDW's board game adaptation of V Wars. Uh, designers Rob Davio and uh, writer Jonathan Mayberry give us a twist. Now, this just as an aside, also two designer names that come up twice in the research for this. And the only time they will ever be mentioned in probably the same podcast, Steve Jackson and Rob Davio, each having two vampire games. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's a weird fact. <laughs> yeah. And, and interesting, they both had a you know good hiatus between them. <laughs> um, anyway, here's a description of V-Wars. Because this one actually, I, I looked at the box and it has good good art. And I thought, I don't know. I'm not sure about this. I'm not, again, vampires are not a theme I really give two hoots about. But uh, I read the description. I was like, I might be more interested now. V-Wars pits humankind against vampires in an all-out global war. Scarier still, our most steadfast allies could change sides at any time because this new breed of vampire, vampirism, is spread not by bite, but by virus, activating junk DNA in its victim and converting them to vampire. Take command of the included 120 highly detailed sculpted miniatures and battle to save the world. But be careful, players, who fight by your side in one round may be at your throat in the next because in V-Wars the virus is always spreading. V-Wars begins as a cooperative game, but shifts as players reveal themselves to be vampires, or the virus takes hold in infected players and forces them to change sides mid-game. In V-Wars, the vampires are trying to infiltrate the world's governments, taking over human cities, while simultaneously attempting to sway public sympathy to recognize them as victims of a viral outbreak, not just cold-blooded killers. Meanwhile, the humans are trying to stem the vampire tide, fighting back against their covert actions and outright rebellions. The vampires win immediately when they've reached a balance of city control and public sympathy to a point where their victory marker and sympathy markers reach each other on the vampire victory track, or alternatively engage in a holding action long enough to exhaust all the player cards. Humans win by placing six cities under martial law in different regions of the world, or if the vampire sympathy tokens are reduced to zero on the vampire victory track. Vampire victory track actually sounds terrible, but 
all told vampires minis technology cooperative game with secret unit deployment okay like I, I might play this that does have a lot of things you like i kind of was like intrigued by it though it's an interesting spin on it all i'm just happy it came out in 2015 and they went with a vampire theme instead of a zombie outbreak exactly yeah. it could have gone either way they, but then again <laughs> zombies make the worst covert agents <laughs> this is true <laughs> we gotta keep these zombies out of here jim are you with me jim i wonder what they're thinking uh, <laughs> oh boy um yeah so the uh vampire theme you know often is one about pitting players against evil or the players getting you know inhabiting the role of evil uh, we dabble in Unreal Horror, toying with darkness for a while until we close the box lid for another night. Um, it's a perennial theme, one that will surge with popularity and correlation or trends in pop culture. The vampire's role in pop culture is perhaps part of what makes them safe. Like zombies, they've been rendered powerless by the constant reuse of the imagery and, and legends. But this is what makes them perfect for games. They're an instantly recognizable opponent with supernatural powers that change over time. They're everywhere, throughout time, and in 2016, undoubtedly, they're still coming for you. So I'm sure we're going to see some right. more. And you know what? I, I forgot a, a one, but it's a, more of a role-play game. There's uh, Kenneth Heights' uh, Dracula dossier. Yeah. It just occurred to me. There's there's going to be an endless amount of Dracula stuff still. It never will go away. See, for me, with vampires, though, I mean, if Buffy and Twilight have taught me nothing, it's that I don't care about vampires unless they're in some sort of love triangle. Oh, this is your... Right. <laughs> so you Every time I read the description, if I didn't start with... It begins with a love triangle. You, yeah. Then or you'd like, be like, oh, uh, I, I'm into this. Yeah. You know, trying to decide if the love of his life should become an undead monster. Is this going to be all games for you now? Or is this just vampire? That's games? all games for me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I okay. can handle it. Yeah. But does, uh, does Carcassonne have a love triangle? Exactly. I am not into this. Where are the, where's the undead trying to get his soul back and race for the galaxy? It's yeah. really risk love triangle. <laughs> the love triangle of Catan. <laughs> I'm waiting for it. No, Dominion, Catan, Dominion, love triangle. Five hundred and four vampire love triangles. <laughs> I'm sure there's. You could yeah. build that variation. So yeah, I, I, you know, I hate vampires. Uh, <laughs> you do hate them. I, I really don't. I don't like them at all. I, it's just, I used to love zombies. Zombies are dead to me now. I think in one of many our ways. our first conversations we ever had together. Really, you said to me, "No, I hate vampires." Vampires came up somehow. I don't yeah. know why. Why, why would vampires have come why up? Why wouldn't they come up? We were watching our children play on a playground. That's obvious. Vampire talk. Yeah. It's sunny out. <laughs> the undead. Yeah. A lot of these themes leave, you know, they kind of leave me cold or there are themes that I would have thought were great when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I enjoyed that book when I was a kid. I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed a lot of that kind of stuff. And then yeah, I got older. And so it kind of lost its spell over me. So like a lot of those early games seem to have really, you know, been aimed at that teen market or mm -hmm. that, you know, you know when you're an adolescent you're going through changes yourself you relate to this as a theme absolutely like you kind of go oh yeah I get, I get what it's like to go through changes changes as you're uh yeah becoming a person a human <laughs> as you stop becoming a a monstrous adolescent to become a full-fledged human explain puberty some more to me you're doing a really good job well, it's all about vampirism really jeff <laughs> it's a dna it's a junk dna virus thing <laughs> I, don't, I don't know i don't really understand it yeah, genetics. You're going to have the best talk with your son? No, son. <laughs> you're going to go through some changes. Now, you're going to feel a bloodlust. I'm going to show you some classic movies from the night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put in this Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, on Netflix. No, that will help him deal with his yeah. teenage years. No. 
So yeah, I don't know, not into the theme, but hey, I loved going back and uh, digging into this theme. I want to do more of these um, as as abysmally difficult as they can be sometimes when you get on sidetracks and the bizarre, <laughs> the bizarre holes, holes yeah. of BGG, which are many. I had no idea. <laughs> Um, if you want to give your thoughts on the vampire theme, point out some classic titles we missed, or share some g- gameplay stories, visit our comments section for the show over at breakingdads.com. And uh, if you enjoyed the episode, please be sure to like, star, upvote, yell about it at your staff room at lunchtime. Whatever suits you. Just don't get arrested. Or do. And then Yeah, we, we don't. We'll disavow. We like the A-team. We'll disavow all knowledge of you. No idea what you're talking about. Uh, and then you can shout at us at uh, Twitter at, at Epic Gumdrop. Until next time, I've been James. And I'm still Jeff.